you agree that, you know, it's time that we all wake up and take responsibility, even for our ancestors that did not know any better? been waiting patiently to have this kind of conversation. <laughs> well, hello again, and welcome to Wake, a Wake Up with KC. I'm Kimberly, and you know what? I found something very interesting. Did you know roughly one in four women will experience migraines in their life? And three times as many women as men suffer from migraines in their adulthood. And what if food, the food that we eat, is a contributor to that? Today joining me is Susanna, who is a headache nutritionist. And she joins us today. Hello, Susanna. Hi, Kimberly. How are you? I'm doing great, and I'm fascinated because I love the mind, how the mind works. But I also realized the food that we eat can yeah. have an effect on our mind, plus cause headaches and migraines. How did you discover this, and how did you become a headache nutritionist? <laughs> yeah, it's been quite the journey. So... Um, I've been a dietitian for 11 years, so okay. uh, yeah, I did my like my backgrounds and was in neuroscience, and then I went back to school to to become a dietitian because I just loved food, and food just plays a role in so many things. Um, but I, when I first started my career, I was more like what I call it a like a jack of all trades of nutrition. Like I covered so many different aspects of nutrition, and um, as when I was in that that job, I I actually um, I hit my head when I was skiing, and soon after that I started getting chronic daily headaches, and they just kept getting worse and worse. So what initially looked like a concussion um, was actually a undiagnosed brain tumor. So I had a benign tumor that was on the pressing on my brainstem, and so it was actually just the hit of the head that started. Um, some of those symptoms coming apparent because our brain is just so capable of like um, cutting down pain. And then those, those were just huge warning signals. And for a lot of people, headaches are a warning signal, not of a brain tumor. That, um, the red flags of, of headaches being a, a, a brain tumor is actually if things get much worse and just continue getting worse very quickly and you never have any relief. But for most people, headaches or migraine attacks, those it's usually a signal of something that's going on in the body that we want to address. We want to get to that root cause. So, wow. yeah, so <laughs> many years on later. On a way, wouldn't you agree that it was a blessing that you did have that head injury because you would have had no idea about oh the tumor? It's exactly like it's a good thing I hit my head because who knows how much longer my brain would have been able to suppress that pain. And because it was pressing on the tumor was pressing on my brainstem, like that's the um, that's where we control life. So if it got much bigger, it would have just been a sudden death. So I'm very lucky that there was that that uh, 
that concussion <laughs> to to start out, start over the start this whole journey that this whole path to to what it, where it's led me now. And is it how did you discover about eighty five percent of chronic headaches uh, and migraine sufferers are women, and why is that? Yeah, so that's just a well. Uh, it's a statistic from scientific research. Um, those other statistics that you mentioned too at the beginning, those are all just like very, um, very grounding statistics that, wow, like there's a huge population group that is dealing with this. And it's something that's barely talked about. Um, also barely looked at from any standpoint other than the medical approach. So you go to see your doctor and you may be matched with different medications, but there's, there's very little, um, very few options to do much else. So yeah, so that's that's one of the big statistics. Um, we there, it's posted on kind of like the migraine awareness, different migraine awareness sites, but it comes from many different um, places of research to get those. So, stuff. You, would you agree, Susanna, that a lot of people get misdiagnosed, and they like the you know experts, doctors, and whatnot? I mean, it, it's not of no fault. I don't think, but it's, they don't ask the right questions. Well, I mean, sometimes, so there's some of that. There's definitely a, a lot of that and it's the way that they're trained as well. So, I mean, you're tra trained to pair symptoms to um, a diagnosis and, and then what's in their tool toolbox is different approaches and they don't have enough time to ask the right questions. Unfortunately, that's just the way our health system has been set up that in a 15 minute appointment, you're never going to get much deeper. Um, they also just don't have nutrition uh, background in when they're studying. So it's kind of like going to the hardware store for milk. You're not going to, you don't get milk at the hardware store. You don't go to see your doctor to learn about nutrition. So that's just kind of the reality, but we've set things up that we go to the doctor for everything, um, which is good. It's very important to go to the doctor and rule out anything more major. Like in my case, like doctors saved my life. The, the doctor, I mean, the medical approach is absolutely essential. But then from that point, you, uh, what's important for me for people to know is that there are other options and you can address things from a nutritional standpoint and heal your headaches naturally. So would you, would it be safe to say that, you know, a lot of what now I've noticed growing up, even from childhood to my teenage years and in adulthood, a lot of how our food is being made is um being processed now they're putting mm -hmm. chemicals in there oh, and so. could that be a con uh, contributor to migraines among oh my other things absolutely it's it plays such a huge part because it is very rare like it's hard to go to the grocery store and to pick something up off the shelf and for it to not have multiple ingredients in there the, it, it's very hard to follow like a whole foods diet when you're in a rush and you don't have, you know, unless you're making everything from scratch, you're buying some things to add. So even if you're having a very healthy diet, that doesn't mean it's a migraine free diet. 
so there's usually even things like um, there's a lot of emulsifiers that are in foods. There's a lot of uh, chemicals that aren't harmful necessarily, but they could be causing inflammation in your body. And it's that inflammation buildup that leads to a migraine attack. So it's really important to look at different um, food sensitivities, but also chemical sensitivities to see what um, what problems are like, what is adding up to that. Uh, we call it kind of a, an immune system bucket, like what what is adding to that bucket that is leading you to have an attack? Once the bucket is full, an attack happens. Um, but so that can be food. It can also be many other things other than nutrition. So sleep plays a huge role. Um, so not getting enough sleep, uh, having stress. So if you're having a stressful day and then having some food sensitivities that are contributing to things like some people are reactive to even like apples or broccoli that perfectly healthy foods. But if it's causing inflammation in your body, then that just leads to a migraine attack. So apples can generate not, not for the general population. Oh, but okay. On occasion, on occasion. No, that's the definitely not like a blanket statement, but it's, it's really good to take a food sensitivity test so that you know exactly which foods are problematic for you because as an individual it's very different per individual so there is a food sensitivity test that you could take to, to find out yeah yeah so there's a lot of food sensitivity tests out on the market uh, a lot of them are igg tests which are just looking at a very small um type of of sensitivity so they're uh, I don't recommend them because they're not that accurate, but they are kind of the cheaper ones that you would see all over. Um, the food sensitivity test that I often offer my clients is called a mediator release test. So what it's what it's measuring is endpoint inflammation. So foods and chemicals can cause inflammation in your body, and so it's measuring that inflammation response. So um, so if we use that apple example most people will fall into the green for the apples where green is, uh, means it's not causing any inflammation, but then you occasionally get someone who um, actually myself, I was reactive to apples. So it just means you follow protocol for um, three to six months where you cut out the foods that you're reactive to, and then you reintroduce them once your body's had time to, to heal and to repair. And so it's it's never like a long-term, elimination diets are never meant to be followed long-term. They're always like a sh short-term protocol to figure out what's going on, uh, to heal the body, and then you can reintroduce, um, reintroduce from there. Because uh, I came of, uh, to some knowledge about gluten and dairy i listened to that episode for, of yours <laughs> yeah. and i was fascinated by that and even sugar mm -hmm. has tremendous and they're part of inflammation aspects of going into our body and i don't right. think that a lot of people realize how much of an effect it does have on our body and our our precious brain that's in our heads. It's mm -hmm. amazing to me um, in regards to that. But let me ask you, you know, was it your injury that led you to this journey that sparked the passion in you? Mm -hmm. um, so that was kind of the start of it. 
So after being diagnosed with the brain tumor, I had a 10 hour surgery to remove it. And I was told that like leading into the surgery, it was like, oh, you know, our brains heal very quickly. You should be able to return to work in four to six weeks. And at that four to six week mark, like I was still needing 22 hours of sleep a day. I was like not nowhere near functional, um, had migraine attacks all the time. The the if I wasn't having a migraine attack, I was having chronic headaches. And that went on for several years. I've, it, it slowly got better to the point that I was able to return to work. Um, but I always, I was always on this journey of like, there must be something more to this. So anytime I'd go to see a doctor, they would just say like, oh, like you should be fine by now. We've removed the tumor. Like there's no long-term damage to your brain or anything. Um, and they're just, basically shrugged their shoulders and said, I don't know why you're, why you're getting these symptoms, especially five years later. So I just kept on that journey. And at some, um, there was this kind of like epiphany moment where I was like, okay, I'm not getting my answers this way. Like, let's go back to the basics of where my knowledge is, which is in neuroscience and in nutrition. And I just poured through the literature and, and looked at any connections that nutrition had to migraine. And in school, we didn't address this. Like you're, you're covering so many, um, you're covering so many different condition, possible conditions out there. And this is why, like, it's the same thing in medical school, right? You can't cover everything. So we never covered migraine in, in school, let alone like the nutritional aspects of it. So it was really kind of on my own that I was uh, doing doing the research and I just developed my own protocol for myself. And within uh, eight weeks, I was able to get off all of my headache medications. And within 16 weeks, I, I was uh, basically symptom free. Like I sometimes have a baseline like dull headache, but nothing that I even need to take Advil for most, uh, most of the time. Wow, that's impressive. And with the healthcare system the way it is, here and what you've discovered and realized is there a way to where all these physicians dietitians nutritionists and even you know neuro neurologists and whatnot some mm -hmm. kind of network to where instead of someone this doctor telling you well i don't know what to do i don't know what to tell you i did my part yeah. Well, they should have access to, well, hold up a second. Let me see if there's another person that can help you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, um, our our healthcare system is definitely moving in that direction. There, I think um, concussion clinics are actually a really great example of this. There's a, quite a few concussion clinics pretty much in every major city. And they really do that networking very well where, you know, you've got the neurologist, you've got um, acupuncture, you've got chiro, and they're all kind of referring amongst each other because the best approach is really to address all of these different areas at once. Uh, so I really hope we're we're going in that direction for all aspects of the, of the medical system, and I think some doctors are doing that already, um, and and some aren't. So 
it, it's really important for each individual to kind of like advocate for their own health and find their own aspects too. And it's like, okay, well, I haven't, you know, I haven't addressed nutrition. I haven't addressed, um, you know, PT, so physical therapy, or like, what are some of the other aspects from a nutrition, uh, from a natural health standpoint that can be addressed? But I, I definitely feel like more and more people are are looking to network and and make sure that they can refer out. Um, it's, it's hard when to when there aren't necessarily specialists in each city. So for for instance, um, I'm a headache nutritionist and, and dietitian. There's only four of us in all of the US. So it's just not an area that many people specialize in because it is a very complicated condition and it's very, um, I mean, it, there's, there's a lot to know and there's a lot to, to understand. And then you want to have that passion. And the, I, I think the best headache nutritionist is someone who's been there themselves. So yeah, the, there's four who specialize only in headaches and migraine. I'm sure there are many other dietitians who special, who can help, but um, there's four of us who specialize in it exclusively. Well, I, I think that there needs to be more of you out there um, <laughs> I agree. because it could probably help solve the root of what's truly going on with those that are, are constantly struggling, that they're, it's unnecessary. Mm -hmm. You know, exactly. granted, yeah, you get the first symptoms, but as you said earlier, you know, that was a sign that your body was trying to communicate with you. Hey, there's something going on. Pay attention, pay attention. And it continued on until bam, you had the, and then you realized that there was a, a tumor involved. Yeah. So exactly. I think things happen for a reason and our body is so, such a, a great communicator. Do you agree that just some people just ignore those signs of the body trying to communicate with us? Yes, I, I think in many cases it builds up slowly to the point that it becomes a big problem, but you, it's, it's easy to ignore a lot of those warning signs. So even for instance, like, um, like our society is kind of normalized taking an Advil whenever you get that one of those baseline headaches, there's a lot of people who take an Advil at least once a week or some people, you know, once a day and something like that is a great warning sign, but it's kind of just normalized that, oh yeah, you get headaches here and there and, you know, just this makes it go away. It's no problem. Um, but all, all these things kind of just really add up with time and get worse and worse. And then, um, a lot of times migraine is much like migraine is much worse than a headache. It's much more, um, migraine attacks can uh, just completely floor you. You, a lot of people vomit with migraine, um, are completely unable to work at all. And there's a huge genetic component to migraines too. So it's not necessarily just, oh, we can address food and eat healthy. It's, it's, it's never as simple as that. It's, it's really like getting a very comprehensive, holistic approach and addressing those food sensitivities that you'd never be able to identify on your own. Um, so, so yeah, there's, there's certainly a lot of reasons, but whenever we can, you know, take, take anything that's a bit unusual and look deeper into it and get to that root cause. 
um, rather than covering it up because the covering it up might work temporarily, but then things often get worse and worse until they do become a, a more severe issue. Wow. And it's a lot of times I think maybe in denial and then, you know, I've heard of, you know, the, I guess people want to say like, oh, my mom suffered or my dad suffered or my grandmother suffered from migraines. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I look at it in, in this kind of like, oh, I see a pattern here. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned genetics, but couldn't have been an emotional, energetic trauma. Absolutely. That just got passed down. And then um, it's like you inherited as well. So if you could figure out, okay, what did that person, mom, dad, grandparent or whatever, what were they going through? What were they were experiencing that created that? Mm-hmm. And then go through the process. And that's another way of healing. When you realize it's something that was passed down, you can heal from it and change it. And then boom, there you go. Absolutely. Like the trauma component is, is, is huge for sure. And like working with the, you know, a psychologist or um, some spiritual, you know, looking into those traumas a bit deeper can often resolve the issue too. So there's so many different facets to kind of look at that it's really good. I, the ideal is to do them all at once so that you're really targeting it from all areas at once and seeing improvement for many different reasons. The reality is most people can't do that or can't, you know, you can't always afford all of these different programs at once. So then to, to take tackle things one at a time, you know, um, especially anyone who does know that there's trauma in their past and in their family history, then that might be the, the first place to start is to address that and to really, you know, work through that aspect before you even go to nutrition. And then someone else who may has, have addressed that issue already is looking for that next thing and just to never give up, never lose hope because there's, there. There, are there is a solution out there somewhere for you. There's a solution out there, exactly. <laughs> so then it would be, I mean, there's truth in that you've got to be your own advocate for one, but mm -hmm. to be the investigator in the research mm -hmm. and you ask the right question, yeah, you'll get the, the answer comes to you and then it just leads to another question. Yeah, yeah. And I think answer. And then it's it just like an ongoing. Ongoing. It's peeling back the yeah. onion, right? Yes. It's like you just get another layer deeper each time and, and really like pursue that path and just embrace the journey too. That knowing that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and there's, you know, there is hope on the other side. There's a solution on the other side and just kind of um, have, have, have peace with the, the fact that it's a journey to, to to get to that place and to dig dig deeper. Now I I know um I, I believe I met a few people that suffer from migraines. They had to have a dark room. Yeah. Light. I mean, it, they would become like almost paralyzed. They couldn't eat. They couldn't sleep. They couldn't mm -hmm. be around light because light is 
a sensitivity to them. Yes, many um, people are uh, reactive to photosensitivity and also noise as well is another really, really big um, during a migraine attack that you just have to dark room, <laughs> cold, and no one around, no sounds. That's a common. Uh, so here's a question because it just came to me. Um, my is there a connection because my daughter shared something with me and it now it just came to me i'm like oh well, i better ask this question <laughs> but with, with especially with women mm -hmm. and menstrual cycles and getting these major headaches and like migraines as well what's yeah. the connection to that can you enlighten us do you know anything about that and how yeah. what, what's the connection to this why yeah, so the the hormone fluctuations can often be like a real trigger for a migraine attack. So just that fluctuation of the up and down of the, the estrogen in particular is when you're going from a high point of estrogen dropping down quickly to a low point, very similar to blood glucose. If we go from a high blood glucose to a low blood glucose, it, we're very likely to trigger a migraine attack. And the best way really to, if, if anyone is dealing with those hormonal migraine, um, we call it menstrual migraine, then the best way is to level out kind of your estrogen. Um, the main way to do that is through food and addressing nutrition um, and, and just balancing out your hormones. So that's particular for someone who is just dealing with menstrual migraine so it's just during um like once or twice a month so usually during the period at the beginning of the period and some people experience it also during ovulation so that's when those hormone fluctuations are happening um chronic migraine is anyone who experiences migraine more than 15 days a month same idea with headaches chronic headaches is more than 15 days a month so and the difference between headaches and and so migraine is, uh, we say migraine in the singular form because it's it's more of an all-encompassing. Um, there's so many different subtypes of migraine conditions that it's kind of like it, similar to cancer, right? We say cancer in the singular form, but there's many different types of cancer. So it's very, it's very much the same with migraine. There's so many different types. So someone might... Um, be affected by by photosensitivity and someone else might not or uh, vomiting and someone else might not. Someone might need to be in a, a dark room. That's very common, uh, whereas others can possibly um, work through it. There's all different levels of, of um, debilitation as well. Wow. I didn't know that I got like migraine one but there's so many aspects of other things. And there's wow. over a hundred different subtypes of headache conditions. So it is, and this is why it affects so much of the population. Like those stats that you said at the beginning, like it's actually estimated to be much higher than that because there's a lot of people that just don't want to go to the doctor or haven't got a correct diagnosis. Um, it's not, you know, it, it changes depending on which country you're in and how, um, how food is processed, but there's there's just so many different contributors and lots of different mechanisms behind it as well. So it's a very wow. complex complex condition, yeah, and it's just not talked about enough. 
And then it it's the now you mentioned that migraine is the third most prevalent illness in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that 14% of the population suffers from migraines. 18% of them are, are women, 6% of men, but 10% are children. No, isn't that awful? It's so sad. Like, young like how kids. young? How young? Oh, from, the, from the beginning. Like, there's actually some connection to even. Um, well, now I can't think of what it's called, but you know, when the babies cry and you can't get them the colic like there's actually some co connections to that that they think it's possible that some kids are suffering from my especially if it runs in the family but it's really hard to diagnose especially as a child because they don't know how to explain those emotions like even once they have language so it's it's very rare that someone gets a diagnosis until they're much older um and then as we age it usually gets worse and worse and worse but there's um yeah, a lot of cases of children, which is really so sad. So what are they doing to help the children? Because my heart's like, you know, like, oh, my God, you're a baby, and you're probably dealing with a headache with all this crying, and you can't sleep. You're, you're just not, you know, happy. and Yeah, you happy. know, something's not right. Yeah, and it's just hard. like I, I remember when I was, you know, an, a mom and gave birth, and there was times where no matter what, you know, it would – she wouldn't stop crying. And I'm like, what do you do? Like now it's like, oh wait, they might have a headache. So what would you do in that situation? Like, how would you know for sure if it was a headache? What can you do to find out if your young baby is actually dealing with a headache? How would you know? How would you, yeah. and then how would you help? I know it is such a complicated issue and I don't think I don't have a good answer to that, but really um, just anyone, especially who has a family history of it, just identifying it and really bring advocating with the doctor and being like, Hey, it could be this. Like, are, do you have any ideas for me? Cause I'm not, I, I'm not sure how they would diagnose that. I'm very like removed from the diagnosis part of things, but I'm, very curious myself how they would diagnose someone as who doesn't have any language usually what happens is that it's once they do have language that they can describe like oh my head hurts so much and i can't possibly go to school um and there's a lot of yeah, holding my head, oh, you know, saying like all lights hurt. And so usually you can get a diagnosis once the child is older. And then looking back, it's like, oh, well, maybe it explains all these other moments of like behavioral issues and stuff. So I think it's it's more a place to like bring up the conversation with the doctor and then bring it up again and again and like getting some second opinions if you think your child could be suffering. Uh, because often we we attribute these types of behavioral issues to something else when when it could very well um, be a migraine that they're experiencing. So and then from there, um, 
I, of course, as a, as a dietitian, I feel the nutritional approach is extremely important at that point and to get some really good testing to find out if there's any nutrition, uh, nutrient deficiencies that are going on at the functional level, and then um, addressing those food sensitivities at that age, uh, right away to target it right away. Um, before things get even worse and before, you know, schooling is affected and friendships are affected and all kinds of, of, of things that really pair, pair to a, a diagnosis of migraine. Wow. That it, it would explain an awful lot. And, you know, for the, for my audience that is a parent and probably struggling with their mm -hmm. child and not understanding, probably been to the doctor doctor can't figure out being misdiagnosed with other things. This yeah. to me, just having this conversation with you is such insightful and mm -hmm. like I'm having aha moments. I know. This is how I felt when I first started going into the research. I was like, what? Like, how have I never heard of, you know, nutrition and migraine and just like anything more about migraine? Like, 14% of the whole population deals with this, but then like a much more significant number in my, you know, like my female population group. So to, to just, there just isn't funding around migraine awareness and migraine research. And it's almost always from that pharmaceutical point of view of like, let's get some better medications, which of course is very important, but we want these other avenues to also get funding. Um, well, you don't want to be on our, our pharmaceutical drugs because there's then other side effects. Yeah. It's not so a solution. On a and it's all about the money to me. I'm sorry. I don't want you I don't want to support what you're doing because you're slowly killing the the people, the American people that just want to have a good life. Mm. And then all you're going to do is diminish it by what you are putting together just for money. You're, you're not really caring about the well-being of a human being, of humanity. And do you think that's a big issue? Uh, I mean, I, th I think the, when you're in such a state that you can't even work and you can't function that often that is the first resort, like the first step is to start feeling some relief and then you can start tackling some like, okay, now what can I do? So I do, I mean, not necessarily the first step if hopefully you never get to that point where you can't, you know, you just can't function. Cause at that point, I think pharmaceuticals play a very big role, but ideally we can address this long before it gets to that point. And it's in those first conversations with the doctor that that's when they should be referring out and be like, okay, let's start looking at this rather than waiting to that point where it's just so significant. Um, and unfortunately some people hit that point from a very young age but I, no matter what, we need to look at more than just that Band-Aid solution. You're covering up the symptoms. We need to address why the symptoms are there in the first place because their bodies are telling us that something is going on. So, yeah, looking deeper is always so important. <laughs> so uh, do you have any a book out? Do you have a coaching program what is it that you can offer the audience in order to get more 
information on yeah. how to help them, you know, with their headaches and migraines? Where where can they go, Susanna? Yeah, so my free resources are mostly on Instagram. Um, and my website is headachenutritionist.com. Uh, I offer a three-month program when I work with people. Uh, I mostly look work with females um, just because that is the, the largest part of the population, the 18% dealing with migraine. And it's a three-month program where, where we do two functional blood tests looking at any nutrient deficiencies that may be the cause and also the food sensitivity um, test called the mediator release test that's digging much deeper into which foods are causing inflammation in the body and causing that immune response that is likely leading. Uh, because often those food sensitivities, those could have started too when you were, you know, two years old. And then as we go through time, it just causes more and more damage to the intestines, uh, causing leaky gut um, and making more of an um, immune response that you typically uh, gets worse before it gets better. Now, you just mentioned something. So is there a connection with the digestive system and the in the brain huge 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 it's it's like they're they're one in the same yeah wow our gut connect and that's why in a way i started changing you know cutting sugars cut gluten and uh dairy Mm -hmm. I, I, but I was listening to my body. Okay. Like, I, I'm a Southern girl. I mean, granted, I'm, I was born and raised in South Florida, but I've had family with the sweet tea. Oh my. But I grew up most of my, and just like, I think three years ago or four years ago, I just, I, my body's like, nope. And, and I haven't, it's like very rare that I will get a sweet oh, tea. So Okay, so you cut it out completely. That happened when I got pregnant. I couldn't stand the taste of Coke after I got pregnant. Some things change when you get oh, pregnant. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> it's I, like, well, that was a good reason, a good thing. Yeah, but then I started like tuning in, like what is my body craving? Is mm. that something that, I mean, it could be a good or bad, mm -hmm. but if it's like every now and then, once in a blue moon, I have a craving for French onion dip and potato chips. Okay. Every now and then, it's just I have my butt or olives. I just want a jar of olives. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. They haven't been able to like link that anything like scientific there, but I think there's there's certainly something to be said about that intuitive sense that there's something like. Um, your body's wanting in order your, to your body's wanting out. something yeah and it's it's looking you know maybe you're craving um oranges or something and you're looking to get a bit more vitamin and your body is looking to get vitamin c but it's giving you that orange craving so um it's quite possible something certainly something in the olives you know getting uh, some more monounsaturated fats that your body might have been missing and i don't know about the french onion the dip maybe <laughs> maybe there's another reason that your body is saying like hey i really want this right now um I, just odd i mean there's, there's, been a, there's an intuitive sense to food for sure. but it, it's just like but it's like tapping in and connecting with that body with your body mm -hmm. and that could help with 
you know, diet and nutrition, if you just pay attention, even with the, now there could be withdrawal symptoms when you're trying to cut back on, on certain things. Yeah. I didn't really notice it when I stopped drinking sweet tea. I just, just something shifted in me that I don't really like to have sugar in my coffee anymore. I have non-dairy creamer now. I just, so, but would you agree that sometimes, you know, if you sugar, 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 your body is craving yeah. it because of biochemistry? Yes, that and that's why it's so complicated. Um, so as you have, say, lots of sugar in your diet, then your gut microbiome changes to to those types of bacteria that like can process the sugar well, and then it's going to ask, you know, it's going to ask your body to have more of those same food products. Um, so there is certainly a detox process where sometimes people feel worse before they start feeling better um, as they change foods. So especially in my program, when we're cutting out all of those inflammatory foods that are come back as very reactive, that in the first um, five to 10 days, that some people can feel worse before. And then the 10 day mark is usually that like kind of magical moment where it's like, wow, I feel so much better. Um, yeah, so it, it does take a while because our gut and so we talked about that gut brain connection, but it's a it's a vagus nerve. It's a very like it's a nerve that goes directly from the brain to the gut. Um, kind of think of it as a cable connecting the two and it's just constantly talking to each other So if one is off then the other one's going to be off and vice versa So you you really want to address everything from from that gut perspective as well Well, wow, I'm just fascinated and I just like got more enlightened Just by having this conversation with you and I am so thankful once again Susanna for joining us today i look forward to having you again on on yes. for sure we can dive deeper into one of these uh one of these topics a bit deeper. Love to. I want, and for anybody that's watching right now if you have a question please reach out to me or you can reach out to susanna she's here to help Solve the root sure. why we suffer from headaches and migraines. She's got the answer. She studied <laughs> this. She went through her own experience. So I I promise you, you're going to find some answers. And thank you again, Susanna. I appreciate thank you. you. Thanks for talking with me. Well, there you go. Headaches and migraines. Maybe there's a connection to their food. And what about your gut? I was just got enlightened. I hope you did too. And stay tuned for the next episode of Wake Up With KC. You'll never know who I get on this show. Do you agree that, you know, it's time that we all wake up and take responsibility, even for our ancestors that did not know any better? been waiting patiently to have this kind of conversation. <laughs>